0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 38 coming to you this week. As always, I am Zach Follidor, guiding this ship with my co-host, Sam Thillman. Sam, how you doing today, man?
1: Uh, it's It's been a good week, man. Uh, watching some college basketball, the March Madness tournament has just uh, blown away my expectations with everything that's going on. Uh, Shout out to the 15 seed for getting it done against Ohio state and then Florida uh, or Roberts shout out to them. But yeah, they busted my bracket, but Hey, it is what it is. It happens every year. And it happened this year.
0: Yeah, you're right. My, my bracket is uh, has long been, been fried by all the upsets. I got to say, I didn't realize how much I missed March madness until March madness was back. And I wanted to get your thoughts about this. I've been talking to my dad about this, talking to a lot of my friends about this. I feel like the way they did it this year where the first round games were Friday, Saturday, instead of Thursday, Friday, and then you have second round games on Sunday and Monday. I actually loved that as opposed to having like first round Thursday, Friday gave us a day full of games on Monday. It gave us, you know, Saturday filled with first round games. I thought that was awesome. What'd you think about that?
1: I I thought it was great. I thought the only downside was I just felt like it was a crap ton of games shoved in a short amount of time where you yeah. didn't fully get to just have the moment just to appreciate all that happened during the first the first day or the second day it just felt like one the first in uh the first round was done and then you boom we're right into the second round done teams only got like a day to prepare for the second round which now for the sweet 16 they get like five or six days I, I think I think the only downside I get what you're saying with the four days is I didn't get to we didn't get a fully like deal with everything that happened in the first round. The, yeah.
0: Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. The the like this past Saturday with all the games going on, it was like it almost felt like a college football Saturday where there were like so many games happening. I I was I had like four screens going. It was it was pretty awesome. These last couple of days have felt kind of empty with with no basketball on. But anyway, let's uh, let's jump into it here, man. Uh, let's let's do a little bit of recap. We'll start here on the men's side uh, this week, and and we'll start with the 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 highest profile games here, these NCAA tournament games. Sam, you and I, we both picked against Ohio on this show last week, and Jason Preston, uh, Dwight Wilson, Ben Vanderplas and company, they they proved us wrong once again. They knocked off Virginia, sixty two fifty eight, on Saturday.
1: I think this is one of the upsets that most people had going into this game, considering the fact that the issues that uh, UVA had, and I don't know whether it was just an off day for Virginia or that they're normally a kind of uh, low scoring defensive minded team. And that's what you've got. Oh, Ohio at times. I don't know. It just seemed like that they were, I, I thought that they were going to be in trouble when they were just not hitting their shots, which proved later we'll talk about in the Creighton game, where their offense just wasn't clicking at times. It just didn't look functional at times. It just looked like Virginia was stifling them. Eventually in the second half, they did have that crazy run to kind of um, get the lead and kind of put this game away. But Ohio, as much credit as we have to give them for getting the win done, it wasn't the most pretty victory at all
0: no it wasn't and i think that has a lot to do with just the fact that that's how virginia plays a lot of virginia games they're they're not the prettiest basketball and i'm with you sam i there was there was a couple moments in this game one at the end of the first half and another probably i'd say 5 minutes into the second half where i know especially in the second half there's i think it was about the 14 15 minute mark where um Virginia went up by seven and Ohio hadn't scored in like two minutes. They weren't hitting their shots. And it, when it got to that point in the game, it just kind of felt like, okay, Ohio might be in trouble here. They, they need to figure something else out or else this game is going to get away from them. And then from that point on, like what that point, they were down 38 31 and that's where they went on that 16 to two run to, to take their first lead. Uh, since the opening minutes of the game the second half the offense looked a lot better for Ohio I mean uh, Jason Preston uh, Ben Roderick was getting to the free throw line uh, Jason Preston was playing really well Mark Sears came off the bench and had a couple uh, a couple of nice plays and then you know Ben Vanderplass hit a couple of threes and you know by the time that 16 to 2 run was over what you know Virginia's or I'm sorry Ohio went from down seven to up seven And that was over the span of like 10 minutes where they held Virginia to two points over that span. So some really good defense from from Ohio there. And I just I felt like uh, I don't know, I felt like most of the time this year when we have talked about Ohio, we've talked about how good they've played offensively in this game, though. I felt like their defense is really what won it for them.
1: Yeah, I I think so. Uh, their defense really shined when they needed to. When they needed to, if if it wasn't for their defense, I think Virginia could have easily just dominated Ohio. But they kept them in the game, and eventually their defense led to offense, and and it took away from there that sixteen to two run that they crucially needed happened because their defense it all defense wins championships everyone says it from the the beginning of time and that's true here uh shout out uh, shout out to Ohio for getting it done against technically the defending champs of Virginia since we didn't have an NCAA tournament last year it was a great victory for Ohio great victory for the Mac I think everyone was happy that watched the game except for Virginia fans it, it was a great
0: game uh no discredit to Virginia they just couldn't get it done yeah certainly and I think you know, a couple big threes from Ben Vanderplas there in the second half who he had himself a, quite a game, 17 points, uh, five rebounds there. And I think before, before we move on to their second round game, Sam, I, I just I think we need to really like fully appreciate how incredible this run that Ohio went on, given the fact that, you know, this team had a 21 day pause because of COVID. Seven of their 10 final games were either canceled or postponed even like you said last week on the show going into the MAC tournament 2 weeks ago we weren't even if sure if they were going to play there were still questions as well, as to whether or not they were going to be able to play in the MAC tournament and we had talked about you know the possibility of Western Michigan coming into the field because Ohio couldn't make it the fact that they got to the second round of the dance I, is i mean i all the credit in the world to Jeff Bowles. We've been talking his praises all season, and I think this is just kind of the final chapter of that, where he's proven himself. He's a really good coach, and if I'm Ohio, I'm going to do everything I can to keep him around.
1: I agree, and, and if you're if you're the Ohio AD, I wouldn't be surprised. Hopefully, if you're not stupid, you would uh, send a contract extension immediately to Jeff Bowles. Get that signed because, I mean, this is a this is a once in a lifetime season for Ohio. They they haven't experienced this in a while, so shout out to him, shout out to the success he's done, and shout out to Jason Preston because he he elevated himself from just another Mac player to a potentially an NBA prospect with all the buzz he's gotten this season. So who knows if he if he will actually get drafted in the NBA or if he declares for the uh, NBA or whatnot? But if if there's a chance and there's a season to do it, it was this season, and he proved himself. Yeah,
0: I, I agree completely. I agree completely. Now let's uh, let's move on to their second round game here, Sam, this uh, game against Creighton. Unfortunately, you know, last time Ohio made the dance back in 2012, they made it to the Sweet 16. They were not able to uh, duplicate that feat here this year. Just came up against a team that was shooting the ball really well against Creighton on uh, on Monday evening, 72 to 58. The Blue Jays pulled this one out, Sam, and um, This was, I don't know, it had a similar feel in the first half where you got to the end of the first half and it kind of seemed like Ohio might be in trouble. Creighton was hitting all of their shots. but Ohio couldn't buy a bucket there at the end of the first half. And I think from from that point on, you go into into the breakdown, 15, got quite a hole to to dig yourself out of in the second half and they just weren't able to pull themselves out of it.
1: Yeah, I got a similar sense to the Virginia game, like you said, than the Creighton game, except the, the Ohio's defense couldn't really stop Creighton. The offense, I just felt like Jason Preston was settling for shots. Mark Sears was settling for shots. They combined for three for 18 from the field. Like Ben plus was three of 12. It just seemed like they, they weren't trying to draw fouls. They weren't trying to get to the line. They weren't trying to get inside. They were just settling for outside shots. And that's okay if you're hitting them. But if you're shooting 31% from the field overall and 23% from the, the three-point line, you kind of have to switch things up. Creighton was 45%, 42% from the field. I think if Ohio would have been able to execute their defense like they would have against Virginia, then they maybe had a chance. But at the end, once Creighton just kind of pulled away, you kind of knew it was the writing on the wall for Ohio. They just couldn't get things done. And Jason Preston, for as good as he was in that first game, he kind of let me down with his uh, his second-game performance.
0: Yeah, the I mean, I, I do give Jason Preston credit for, you know, he, I mean, he left it all out there on the floor, even at the end of the game when the, the outcome had been decided, but you're right. Not his best game as a Bobcat, one for 10 from the field, nine rebounds. He did have seven assists, still almost had a double double after only shooting uh, one for 10 from the field. But I think the story of this game to me here, Sam was, was Creighton. Um, you know, my, my recent, you know, my two most recent memories of Creighton this year was I watched them just get throttled by georgetown a couple of weeks ago in the big east tournament championship game they only scored 48 points in that game it was never close they got blown out by the hoyas and then because of that performance i actually picked them to lose to ucsb in the first round which they easily could have you know they only end up winning that game by one point but when you watch this when i watched them play ohio on monday night it was like i was watching a different team i mean marcus Segarowski, he had 20 points in this game, did a really great job running the offense. Uh, Mahoney, Damian Jefferson, Christian Bishop. I mean, the athletes on this team were just of another caliber to, compared to what Ohio had. And I think, the you know, with hindsight being 2020, the matchup with Virginia was much more suited to Ohio, I think, because Virginia is not a team that's necessarily going to overwhelm you with their athleticism, their athletes. They play a little bit of a slower game. But you know, you got to the end of the, you know, Ohio kept this close there for the first 15 or so minutes of of the of the second half or of the first half, excuse me. You know, got, you know, you're down 23, 22 at about the five and a half minute mark. And then uh, you know, over the the final five and a half minutes of the half, Creighton goes on that 16 to two run. Ohio couldn't buy a bucket. Zegarowski was making plays. He had a couple of threes for Creighton there. They had that um, that, that big alley oop to uh, to, to Mitch Ballack as well that would kind of seem to shift the momentum and I think again you know you came out in the second half Ohio you know played them even in the second half but the hole that, that they dug in the first half was just a little bit too much to overcome
1: yeah and, and I mentioned I wouldn't bet against Ohio and I didn't bet against them I only after watching that first game I knew it was going to be kind of a lower scoring game for Ohio so I actually did the under of like 140 heading into this game they they uh luckily covered nice. that for me because uh, ohio's offense to me i think i think needed improvement i don't think that they were ready for this kind of matchup i think if virginia was able to hit their shots more consistently they would have easily won this game but or easily won that first round game but they weren't ohio moved on to the second round and hey ohio got a ncaa tournament victory not a lot of teams can say that ohio state can't say that uh what other teams can't say that purdue can't say that um yeah. Yeah. Uh, Texas can't say that there's a lot of teams. I can't say that. So for Ohio to do that, especially for the Mac is incredible. So yeah, shout out to them.
0: Yeah. Penn state ain't won a tournament game in 20 years. So good, good job. Ohio. I'm, I'm jealous. Um, so yeah, again, I think, you know, go bound out in the second round, the Creighton, I think nothing to nothing to be ashamed of there, nothing to hold your head there. Um, I will be curious to see what this Ohio roster looks like next year. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see, you, you mentioned Jason Preston. Is he going to come back? Dwight Wilson's a senior. He could have an extra year of eligibility if he wants it. It'll be interesting to see what uh, what this, the roster looks like going into next season. And I'm sure we'll get some, uh, some, some clarity on that here over the next month or so. Um, let's move in, Sam, to our, uh, our NIT games. The MAC, uh, as much as everyone wants to focus on the NCAA tournament, perhaps a, a little bit of a, a tip of the cap to the league here, from the NIT selection committee with, with two Mac teams getting into the NIT this year. Uh, we, we talked about this last week a little bit. Toledo took on Richmond in the first round. Buffalo uh, took on the one seed Colorado state and Sam uh, this Toledo game kind of seems like a, you know, a tale of two halves here. Um, Toledo goes into the half at 38, 32 up on Richmond in this one. And they just couldn't, couldn't get a stop in the second half. to allow Richmond to score 44 points in the second half. Rockets end up bowing out in the first round, seventy six to sixty six.
1: Yeah, I, I think the tale of this game is what happened during the season. I think I think we overlooked Toledo's defense because their offense was so great. And in yes. the second half, that's what happened. They they couldn't really get their shot going. Twenty eight points, but they let Richmond score forty four points, forty nine percent from the field. 40% from the three point line in for as great as Toledo had been on the offensive side of the ball, their defense had been lackluster. I mentioned the Mac championship game. I saw, I saw points where Toledo would go down and score a bucket. And then they would just basically let ball stage Jeron Coleman in for a layup. It's just like, if you, if you want to make it to the dance, you want to make a serious push, you have to play defense and that's not what happened. And that's why Ohio was in it. And that's why they beat Toledo because, Ohio plays on both sides of the ball. They don't just have a um, great offense.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that completely. And, you know, Sam, something that we've talked about with Toledo all year, um, as far as like a concern of ours about them, came to fruition in this game. And that is the fact that, as you just mentioned, they're so dependent on their – you know, they're such an offensive-oriented team that when their shots aren't falling – there's really no plan B. And you look at this game, their shots weren't falling 39.7% from the field overall, six for 26 from three point land. I mean, this is a team that averaged 80 points a game this year. They put up 66 in this one and Richmond, they're a good team, but they're, you know, they're not, you know, it's not like they're a top 10 defense. I mean, this is a team that can be scored upon and uh, the Rockets just didn't have it. Marion Jackson in this game, one for six from the field, still had 10 points because he had seven free throws. But, you know, Ryan Rollins and Cedric Milner really carried this team here. 18 points from Rollins, 13 from Milner. Um, JT Shemade, only eight points. Uh, you know, Spencer Littleson was only two for five from three point line, which is not terrible, but not good for him. I just think, you know, as you said, Sam, uh, Sam that, you know, this has been the story for Toledo this year on the rare nights where they don't play play well offensively. And it has been rare. There haven't been many of them, but when they happen, they're, they're not going to win many games. And unfortunately for them, it just happened to happen here in an elimination game.
1: Yeah. And I, and I will say for as good of a season that Toledo had, what a, what a disappointing finish from yeah. losing, losing in the semifinals to Ohio to, to losing a double digit team, which double digit, Game to a team that shouldn't beat you by double digits. Richmond is good, don't get me wrong, but I don't think Toledo should have lost by double digits in this game. I think they were pretty evenly matched in this game. Toledo couldn't get it done for all, all the promise they had for uh it was Marion Jackson that got player of the year, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And and uh Ryan Rollins getting um uh freshman of the year and all in all the accolades. Yeah, when you can't get it done at the end of the season. What do those accolades really mean at the end of the day? Sure, you can look back on it twenty years down the road and be like, "Hey, we we had a good team," but then your kids ask what happened to the team, and you just basically you basically fell apart at the end. That's yeah, that's that's basically it.
0: Yeah, it's true, and uh, I know Toledo fans are going to be going into this this off thinking, you know, they thought this was their year that they were going to end their NCA tournament dry streak, and unfortunately, it looks like they're going to have to wait another year. We'll see. Similar to what we said about Ohio, Sam, we'll see what this team looks like next year. Obviously, uh, you got a, good, a lot of good young underclassmen there with, you know, Ryan Rollins, as you mentioned, getting freshman of the year. And we'll talk a little bit about that more uh, here at the end of the show. But, you know, with Marion Jackson leaving and then some of those other upperclassmen potentially being gone as well, it'll be interesting to see how Coach Kowalchik and the Rockets reload for next season. Uh, in the second NIT game here, uh, Buffalo-Colorado State, I feel like it's a, it's a shame to me that this game was Friday night as the first round games were all going on because I saw some bits and pieces of this game. This was a phenomenal basketball team between two really good teams, Colorado state, one of the first teams out of the NCAA tournament Buffalo, obviously coming in being, you know, one of the hotter teams in in the group of five conferences, despite having lost in the the final, uh, the final of the Mac championship game. But you know, this is a, a team – or this is a game, you know, just in the last couple minutes there, um, oh, Colorado State's up by three. Uh, LaQuil Hardnett hits a three-pointer to tie it at 73, and then um, Colorado State uh, forward Isaiah Stevens hit a layup with 1.2 seconds left to, um, to, uh, to put the, pull out the victory, 75-73. A tough way to go out for Buffalo, but, man, Sam, they, they left everything on the court in this game. I will say I,
1: I I think Buffalo for all its ups and downs the way they finished the season was right they I we we talked about it many times in the to the season that this team had the talent to compete with anybody, and that was true. They figured it out towards the end, got to the final, unfortunately lost to Ohio, meaning they couldn't get to the NCAA uh, tournament. But what a way to go on the NIT first round, losing by two. I didn't get to watch the game, and and there's a lesson in this for all the NIT like organizers, CBI organizers. Don't schedule the get ga- the games the same day or the same time as other games going on because you're not going to get viewership. Let's be honest. Or for if sure. there's um. NCAA women's we're probably going to tune into that over the NIT because our our first priority to watch is going to be the NCAA tournaments and not necessarily the NIT or the CBI or whatever other tournaments out there so I I wish I would have seen it if it wouldn't have been at the same time as other games I would have watched it but hey uh shout out to Buffalo for putting up a good effort I would say better effort than Toledo did uh almost beat the number one seed in the NIT Uh, yeah, just, I think Buffalo fans maybe could have been disappointed if they would have finished out like they started, but, uh, for, for Buffalo's effort, I think, I think
0: this season was a success. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, obviously if you're a Buffalo fan, any, any of these teams near the top of the Mac, the goal is to get to the NCAA tournament, but they'll finish the season the way that they did and, and get to the NIT here. Um, I really thought, you know, Buffalo had all the momentum coming into the end of this game, especially after Harden had hit that three to tie it up. And I, I really felt like if this game got to overtime, Buffalo was was going to have a chance to pull it out. But it was, I mean, this was a back and forth, a slugfest all game, a really good basketball game. And, and I agree with you, Sam. It's it's a shame that a lot of people didn't get to see it because of the, of the scheduling of it and, you know, doing it on Friday night, which I don't think I'll ever understand that decision. But Nonetheless, uh, you know, Josh Mbala uh, almost got another double-double here, 10 points, nine rebounds. Jonathan Williams was really the star for, for Buffalo in this game, 21 points, six rebounds, nine for 18 from the field. A really nice uh, final game for him uh, of the season. The junior, we'll see if he comes back next year. But, uh, you know, I think this is a team – the way that they finish the year under Jim White. So I think should give some Buffalo fans hope moving forward into next season. And we'll see what they look like coming back next year. But, you know, if, if Jonathan Williams comes back, I know Josh and also a junior, we'll see how these guys decide to handle their, their future here over the next, uh, you know, over the next month or so. But if they can get a lot of these guys back, uh, you got Laquil Hardnett, the sophomore. He hit some big shots in this game. If they can get a lot of these guys back, I know I saw that Javon Graves is, is not going to be returning as he, you know, he was a senior. But if, you know, if they can get some of these other big players back, I could see Buffalo being right at the top of the conference again next year.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way that Jonathan Williams has played this season, going from basically a three-point game score to 11-point game score in his sophomore year to a 17-point game um, score as his junior year, I mean, if he doesn't enter the transfer portal like a lot of the athletes we've seen done, he could definitely do some big things in the uh, for the, for Buffalo next year. If he doesn't enter the NBA draft, I don't know his, his prospect if he's a prospect or not. But man, if this Buffalo team can return the majority, if not, they have a solid foundation for the future. You, you're probably losing Javon Graves if he doesn't decide to return for his fifth year or if he doesn't decide to graduate transfer elsewhere. But you got Imbala inside if he returns. You got w- Williams as a solid wing player. You got uh, Sagu as a nice point guard piece. The only thing I think you really need to build on if you're Buffalo, as we've said all season, is a bench, uh, yes. just depth, really. If you have depth, you can go far in any game. You can compete with anybody. If your starters aren't going, you can put in a six-man and do things. If you have a – really the only thing I think they're lacking is a really nice six-man to come in off the bench, energize that bench. Other than that, I think they had a really good starting five. I wish we could have seen them in the tournament similar to Ohio, see what they potentially could have done. But Buffalo, uh, shout out to them. If If everybody returns, you should have a really good team next year.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And especially you look at the, uh, kind of the landscape of the conference and, you know, you think about what some other teams are losing. And I think Buffalo could potentially be very, very well positioned, uh, next year to, uh, to, to, to compete for, for the conference championship. Let's move in one more men's game to talk about here, Sam. And, uh, man, we, we, we talked and joked a little bit about this one last week. Uh, Bowling Green, Stetson in the CBI, man, you want to talk about a disappointing end of the season for Toledo. How about Bowling Green here? Now, let's, let's, let's preface this discussion here first and say Justin Turner for Bowling Green did not play in this game. So whether or not that was you know health-related issues or he just didn't feel like playing in the CBI, not having Justin Turner certainly hurts here. But uh, Bowling Green, they're up eight at halftime on Stetson. They're up 15 with about 11 and a half minutes to go. And they let Stetson come back and, and beat them in the last minute, 53 to 52. This is a Bowling Green team that goes from having NCAA tournament aspirations, winning their first six conference game, thinking that they're on top of the world to now bowing out in the first round of the CBI. Really, really disappointing end of the year for the Falcons. Uh, and, and this, this Stetson Hatters, the team
1: is a team I didn't know existed before playing <laughs> yeah. ball and green. This is a team that is below North Alabama. This is a team that's below North Florida, below Lipscomb, below, uh, Florida Gulf Coast. This isn't the same Florida Gulf Coast team that made it far in the NCAA tournament. This is the four and five in conference, 10, and eight overall Florida Gulf Coast conference. And. To go out like that with or without Justin Turner, it it it's similar to the the performance Kent State put out without Danny Pippen in the first round of the tournament, without uh, against Ohio, without him, it just was lackluster. There's no excuse for you to lose to Stetson Hatter's team, which was below 500 coming into this game. It's the CBI, your last chance to prove something to the world, whatever you want to. At, at least Bowling Green. Could have taken away the fact that they could have potentially been CBI champs out of a bad season overall, ups and downs. You had a really nice, um, into the regular season there where you were rallying off games. And that's why I picked you to win the MAC conference tournament and you just disappoint against Akron in the first round. Then you come into a, a Stetson team, which is nicknamed the Hatters. Okay, <laughs> yeah. how can you look at yourself in the mirror and know you lost to a team nicknamed the Hatters? But yeah, <laughs> the, Bowling Green just disappointed me. I didn't watch the game because my take is I don't really watch the CBI; it's not my thing. I, the most I'll we'll do is the NCAA tournament on both sides and then the NIT.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, um, after we talked about this game on the show last week. I was, you know, I was looking at the line on FanDuel and I was like, man, Bowling Green's only a six and a half point favorite in this game, even without Justin Turner. I was like, that still feels like a good number. I ended up taking the Falcons and, you know, they're up 15 with 11 and a half minutes left in the game. And I'm thinking I'm good to go. It's just following along in the game and, and just following along with, you know, the Falcons over the last couple of weeks here. It just it it almost seems like they've just, they just kind of lost interest. You know what I mean? If, if they were engaged in this game and, and, and playing, you know, with maximum effort, even without Justin Turner, I don't think there's any reason they should have lost to the Stetson team. And, you know, I don't know, Michael Huger, the coach there, uh, he's going to have some, some have to have some tough conversations with some of these players and, and, you know, we got to figure out what went wrong with Bowling Green this year, because this is a team that had just as much talent as anyone in the conference. And they just, for whatever reason, over the last two months of the season, they just were, were never able to put it together. And this to me is just kind of like the cherry on top of that cake where, you know, it's been very disappointing here for two months. And, you know, you go out, lose the Stetson in in the first round of the CBI. That seems like a fitting ending to the year.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. And, and even without Justin Turner, you scored, what was it? 2000 points, right?
0: Yeah, he's over 2,000.
1: You still had Plowden who had over 1,000 points. You still had Trey Diggs who was over 1,000 points for his college career. So it's not like this team was left just high and dry without any talent it's it's not like you didn't have any talent whatsoever and it's like the buffalo if you took out Daisha aisha fair and there's just basically no one it's bowling green you had some pieces you had a nice freshman Caden Matheny, who's a three-point shooter you have caleb fields who's a nice guard you obviously have trey Diggs, who's a scorer they they had pieces there now would it have really helped if justin turner was there of course but that's not the reality of the situation. You just, what this season has taught us is you have to overcome any obstacle. And if you can't beat sets and Hatters without your, without Justin Turner, then maybe you shouldn't have been in the tournament to begin with.
0: Yeah, I agree. You would like to think that they'd go into the CBI with a little bit of like a sense of pride and be like, let's use this tournament to prove that we belong in some of the bigger tournaments and, they just weren't able to do that. So certainly, you know, a very frustrating end to a very frustrating season for the Falcons and their fans uh, on the hardwood, on the men's side. Um, any any other, any final thoughts on, on the men's side here, Sam, before we jump into the women's? Um. Not really. I, I will
1: say it was a fun season to watch before we move on to the women's side of things. It was a great season to watch from Ohio again, the NCAA tournament, watching uh, Ball State upset Toledo at home. There's been a bunch of fun games. Kent State's up and down, uh, Bowling Green's late push at the end. Buffalo finally uh, realizing how good they are. It's been a fun season. I've had had a bunch of fun. Hopefully we don't have a bunch of people leave. I know we've seen a couple people, one from Kent State, a couple of people from Ball State enter the transfer portal. Hopefully they don't leave. Hopefully they stick around because if this season could translate into next season, maybe with fans in the stands, uh, all, all the fans in the stands uh, with uh, t- their normal TV deals. I think this next season could be one heck
0: of a season. I certainly agree with you. I certainly agree with you. Really looking forward to hopefully having fans in the stands uh, next year. And I agree with you. Great season all around. Uh, you know, a lot of stories that we didn't anticipate, a lot of great storylines. And, and that applies to the women's side too. That applies to the women's side too. Let's, let's jump into the women's side here, Sam. Central Michigan – uh, getting back to the NCAA tournament for the the third straight year that it's been hosted. Uh, you know, think back to 2018, they had that run to the sweet 16 uh, where they knocked off LSU and Ohio state before falling to Oregon. And then back in 2019, they got in as an eight seed uh, almost knocked off Michigan state in the first round. Um, unfortunately for the Chippewas in this one, Iowa just proved to have too much firepower. I think this was kind of similar to how the, 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 um, Ohio Creighton game played out here, Sam. I'm not sure if you got the chance to see much of this game, but it seemed very similar to me where Chippewas hung with uh, the Hawkeyes for about the first quarter. And then uh, I offense just kind of took off and Central Michigan wasn't hitting their shots. You know, they, they go into the, to, to the breakdown 11 and they just were really never able to kind of dig themselves out of that hole.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is uh for for reference, this is an Iowa team that you wouldn't really think has the firepower. They're 19-9 on the season. Only a five seed. This is a 512 matchup. So you're thinking this is gonna be a close game. But when you look at what Iowa has, in particular to their to their uh freshman and Kaitlin Clark, who's just an absolute bucket. Like there's yeah. there's no other way to put it for a, a freshman to lead the country in uh Points per game with 26.8, second and assist per game at three pointers per game. Like there, there's only so much you can do as a central Michigan team. Yeah. She, they, they, she put up 23 points still, but she was eight of 16, three of eight from three. You did your best against an Iowa team that I think had uh superior superior offensive weapons. You did your thing. You try to keep it as close as you can, but I think to your to to your point. I was just a little bit better than Central Michigan.
0: Yeah, I think that was the big thing for me with uh, with when you're watching this game with Iowa is that as as the game wore on, the the Chippewas they they just didn't have an answer for for Caitlin Clark and you know as as well as um you know Molly Davis and and Michaela Michaela Kelly played in this game Molly Davis with eighteen points Michaela Kelly with twenty three. They, they didn't get a ton of help. Nobody else was over, uh, you know, 10 points in this game. You know, you got 41 of your 72 points coming from two players. You know, that, that makes you, as a team, that makes you pretty, pretty easy to defend. And like I said, on the, uh, on, on the other side of the ball, uh, Caitlin Clark and, and Monica Cezanne- Sinano, um, really just, I mean, the, the Hawkeyes, or I'm sorry, the Chippewas didn't have any answer for either of them. Cezano underneath the bucket really did whatever she wanted all game 10 for 18 from the field, 23 points, grabbed uh, six rebounds to go along with that. I think regardless though, um, you, you, look at Iowa, you look at this team and you look at the fact that they, they went out and, and beat Kentucky two days later in the second round They're you know, they're moving on. They play on, uh, on Saturday, they're going to be taking on UConn uh, in the sweet 16. So I don't think there's any, um, you know, embarrassment in losing to Iowa, especially you look at Caitlin Clark in that second round game against, uh, against Kentucky 35.7 rebounds, six assists, 13 for 21 from the field, six for 12 from three point land. This, I mean, this is a really, really good basketball team. And so I think if I'm central Michigan, Obviously, did I did I want to make a run to the Sweet 16 like, like they did three years ago? Certainly. That's always the goal. But to come in and, and, and battle hard against the Big Ten team who ended up going to the Sweet 16, I don't think they have anything to hang their hand, heads about.
1: Yeah, depending on if Iowa can beat Kentucky, they could be a Big Ten team that goes to lead eight or final four national champion, yeah. whatever, whatever the case is. I This is a case where Central Michigan – you you had to be happy with your yourself. No one expected you, I think, to reach this point. Everybody expected Bowling Green, including myself. I picked them to win the the, the women's uh, MAC tournament. You came through. You just had a really tough matchup going against you in Iowa. We, like everybody knows about Iowa now in the the press of that uh, Caitlin Clark is. This is an impressive team. There's nothing to really be disappointed about. You put up you put up the same amount of points as a number four seed Kentucky did. It's just a matter of fact that your matchup was tough. I was a great team. You were good, but they're just they're just better. That that's that's the case at the
0: end of the day. You're I, I agree completely. I agree completely. And I think you know, this central Michigan team we've talked about it before and, you know, we've talked about it when James has been on the podcast pr- previously. And, you know, James, obviously a Central Michigan alum and big Central Michigan fan. This is a very, very good program, the women's basketball program at Central Michigan. Again, just, I mean, they were, they were just in the sweet 16 back in 2018. This is a very good program. Obviously losing Michaela Kelly is going to hurt, but I still think there's a lot of talent on this roster. Molly Davis, just, you know, she's only a sophomore right now, so she'll have two more years of eligibility. A lot of other talent on this team coming back next year. So I think, you know, I don't think the, the Chippewas are going to be going anywhere. I still expect them to be at the top of the conference next year, right there with, uh, with Bowling Green and, and some of those other teams.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think I think Central Michigan's future is bright. They they've been bright for the past few years. I expect it, if the the I expect the success to continue next year. But we'll have to see. Anything's possible. But yeah, Central Michigan has forever been a uh, standout women's basketball, and I, I shouldn't see anything else um, changing.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Let's move into these NIT games here, or I should say WNIT games here first things first I, I have to admit and and this is probably I, I maybe I should have known this and I, maybe you knew this Sam I did not realize that the women's NIT is a double elimination tournament with you know with a consolation bracket so when you when you look at this here uh you know Ohio unfortunately Ohio and Bowling Green both ended up losing their their first round games you know Ohio went down the Clemson 65 to 60. Bowling Green went down to Creighton 72 to 65, but that did not knock either of them out of the tournament completely. Both were then went into the consolation bracket and Ohio ended up knocking off Fordham in their second round game. Bowling Green ended up knocking off Dayton 77, 76. That bought each of them one more game in the consolation bracket where Ohio ended up losing to UMass and and Bowling Green ended up losing to Drake. So even though they lost that first game there, they both go into the consolation bracket, both pick up a win. So not, I guess not the worst outcome here for either team, but certainly I guess that, that was my first takeaway though. The format of the women's NIT, I, I wasn't aware of that. So that kind of threw me off a little bit. It was really pretty cool to see, you know, both, both Bowling Green and Ohio get the key playing after they lost that first round game.
1: Yeah. I, I did not know that either. And I did not know that instead of the CBI, there's the WBI for the, the women. So that's, that's a little bit different as well, but yeah. Uh, Ohio and, um, who else was it? It was Ohio and BG. I think I expected BG to do a little bit better in the NIT considering how good they did against, um, Mac teams, but Hey, you can't hang your hat on. You had one heck of a season, probably one of your best, uh, hits, uh, one of your best teams in school history, one of your best seasons in school history, for a terrible year, you had some bright spots. This, I- NIT season, this NIT tournament wasn't it. Maybe you were just kind of um, down at yourself after losing in the MAC tournament game because you were this close to being yeah. in the NCAA tournament. But uh, yeah, Zach, I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of expected uh, Bowling Green to do a little bit better here. I'm not so surprised Ohio had their struggles here and there, but Bowling Green is I'm
0: kind of shocked by. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Sam, especially, you know, Creighton came into this tournament uh, with, you know, they were under 500. They came in with a nine and 11 record here. And Bowling Green uh, started off well in this game. They were up five after the first quarter. And and from there on, um, they just, you know, the, the offense really, really struggled for uh, for the Falcons in this game. Uh, you know, only 38 percent from the floor, 28 percent from three point land. Um, Katie Hemfling had herself a nice game, 22 points and, and seven rebounds. Um, Erica Brett though, you know, and some of these other, uh, your, your other kind of go-to players, you know, Lexi Fleming was three for 10, Erica Brett three for 11 from the field. Anytime your, your top scorers come out and, and shoot like that, it's, it, it can be tough to overcome that. I also think that, uh, the, the, um, Bowling Green struggled a little bit with the size of Creighton, you know, a couple of Creighton players here with double digit rebounds, Uh, so, you know, I think again, it's, I think it says a little bit about the, um, kind of the, what, what's the word I'm looking for kind of the, uh, the, the mental strength of this team of both of these teams that to come into the NIT after having been disappointed with the outcome in the conference tournament, lose their first NIT game and still come out and win the next day. Uh, I I think that says something about the coaching and the leadership of both of these teams.
1: I agree. And I, I think the positives for Ohio is to get to this point with basically one of your star players, one of the one two punches, kind of just like injury ridden throughout the season. Um I yeah. know Erica Johnson played in the last two. Did she play in the the first NIT game?
0: She did. She did. Now she she struggled. She was only three for seventeen from the field. So so not her finest moment. But but your your point I, I still agree with, yes.
1: Yeah, so if if you're looking into something to buy into, you you finally got to saw, see in this uh, senior season, uh, final season, which was supposed to be just a great season for Ohio. I think everybody, I think they were both on the preseason All-Mac uh, first teams for the women's side of things. Yeah. This was supposed to be kind of either, this was supposed to be Ohio's year. It it, it was to a point because you got you got to a positive record 15-9 without her for most of the season. But I think, I think it would have been cool to see. I think one of the what-ifs of the season, like you have a bunch of what-ifs from the season, it's Ohio women's basketball. And if you had both of them healthy throughout the season, obviously you're still going to have your COVID pauses here and there. But to see what they can do throughout the season, because we saw what they could do last year. This year, I think them being um, having another year of experience would have just would have just blossomed together.
0: I, I certainly agree with that. I think Erica Johnson being healthy for the entire year this year, they're they're very very likely that uh, that you know I could certainly see a scenario where in that situation Ohio ended up winning it all. I think they would have had a higher seed in the conference tournament then, and and you know certainly um, you know it, it would it's a, it is a big what if uh, a big hypothetical for Bobcats fans. Erica Johnson, um, she, you know, her and CeCe Hooks both bounced back in that second game for Ohio. They knocked off Fordham 81-64. CeCe Hooks in that game 23-9. Uh, Erica Johnson 19 points on uh, on seven for 14 from the field. Dayton in that second round game, uh, that consolation game, they did end up knocking off in-state rival Dayton uh, 77-76. So a nice win for the Falcons there. And like I mentioned, both teams bowed out in the second round of the consolation bracket. Ohio uh struggled with UMass. UMass really just uh kind of dominated this game from the jump. 95 to 71, uh the the minute, uh the minute women, I guess they're officially uh, their name is uh for UMass uh in this one. 95-71, like I said. And um, you know, Erica Johnson and CC hooks once again both had 18 points in this game. But you know, you give up 95 points and let your opponent score, you know, shoot. 49% from the field. You're not going to win many games. Bowling Green also bowing out to Drake there 78-68 in the uh in the consolation bracket there. So Sam, um similar to with uh with the, what we did with the men's segment, any any final thoughts here on on the women's segment to kind of tie up tie this season up? Any any final thoughts for you from this year?
1: Yeah, I I think this goes for both. I think I think going 20 years, 30 years down the road when we have kids, grandkids, whatever the case is. This is a season like similar to when your grandparents told you uh, they had to walk in 10 feet of snow on yeah. the way to school. The, they the, Your kids or grandkids won't believe what you went through with COVID. Uh, I got sent online to, uh, sent last uh, March, I get sent home from school. I had to do online college for basically a, a semester of college, essentially. This is going to be a season where, they're not going to believe you that this happened, but we can know in our Heights that this season was, I I'm going to say, I think for, for missing March madness last year, this is the best season of all, because I realized we took for granted what we had on both the women's and men's side of things. Great seasons all around. I loved every second of it. I wish we could go through more of it. Unfortunately, we have to wait till next season, but I'm just grateful. We had a season. It's unfortunately we had the pauses in between and, uh, teams like VCU and the NCAA tournament couldn't play their, their first game because of COVID. But hey, heck of a season. Uh, shout out to everybody involved. Again, I'll say it again. We give NCAA slack for a bunch of things. But on this, we just have to give them a pat on the back. I know uh, Indianapolis is releasing a documentary on all the behind the scenes stuff on the, the tournament. So that should be fun to watch. But just credit to everybody involved from the players, the trainers, the administrative staffs, everybody on both sides, it was a great season. Hopefully, next season could be even better with fans in the stands and just returning to, just what college basketball is all about: having fun, watching
0: great games, watching great content, and yeah, just just bring it back to what it was. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. I think I certainly think, you know, after missing the tournament last year, we a lot of us did take it take this for granted, and so I think there was a heightened appreciation of it this year. And you're right. We're going to look back on this for 20 years, you know, the entire pandemic. And it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a crazy thing to look back on telling our kids and our grandkids about this someday. I think, you know, when we when we think about the women's side specifically, the thing that I'm always going to remember about this season is, is the parody on, on the women's side. And you look at the final max standings. I mean, you had, you know, Eastern Eastern Michigan, excuse me, finished in seventh place. Uh, they were only, you know, three and a half games back of second, only five games back of first place. So like there, there's so much, I should say, so little separation of all these teams here in the, in the women's side this year that it really made for some great basketball, some really interesting basketball, it made the last couple of weeks of the season really fun to follow, not knowing how much uh, things could change going into the conference tournament. So to uh, put kind of a final bow on basketball season here, uh, Sam and I wanted to go through on both the men's and the women's side. Uh, take a look at the 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 postseason awards and the the first team, all conference teams and stuff like that. Uh, Sam, why don't we uh, why don't we start on the men's side here? You want to run through real quick all the kind of the the final, the, you know, the postseason award winners?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I can. I, I again, I, I think it was a great season. If if you got snubbed from an awardee, it's not really a slight at you. It's just what it is at the end of the day. It's a postseason awards. It's what it is. So I'll run through the awards real quick. We'll go through coach of the year. I think everybody can guess it would be the Toledo's coach, Todd Kowalczyk. I don't think there's any surprise there. Player of the year, uh, along with his coach, is Marion Jackson, uh, senior guard Toledo, for Toledo. Freshman of the year, I mentioned it earlier in the, the uh, episode, Ryan Rollins guard uh, for Toledo. Defensive player of the year. Josh Bala, junior, freshman, or forward for Buffalo, and then Trey Diggs, uh, senior, um, guard slash forward for Bowling Green. Now for the teams, All-Mac first team, I'll just run through the first team real quick. Lauren Christian Jackson for Akron, Justin Turr for Bowling Green, Danny Pippen for Kent State, Jason Preston, Ohio, Marianne Jackson for Toledo. Now, Zach, uh, you, uh, before we discuss, you can check out the list on the second team, third team, honorable mention on the uh, Get Some Action site. Uh, but, Zach, is there any surprises to you from that list?
0: Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the one award to me that, that would be a little bit contested would be the freshman of the year. I know we talked a lot about Ryan Rollins this year. But we also talked a lot about Mark Sears this year. Um, I think there's probably some people that would have picked Mark Sears over Ryan Rollins, but I I don't have any issues with that pick. I think the impact that Ryan Rollins had on the Rockets this year was, was very, very, um, you know, is very, very evident to see, you know, he's led all freshmen in the Mac with 14 points a game, fifth most points in a season by freshman by in a season by a freshman in Toledo history. So certainly a nice year for Ryan Rollins. Other than that though, I don't think there was anything that really surprised me. How about you? I, I don't think it was a
1: surprise that he was nominated. It was just kind of laps. I didn't I, I didn't realize how much of a defensive impact Josh Ambala played for Buffalo because because we see the stat lines 20 points, 10 rebounds. You kind of forget about the defensive impact he is. He he's a big guy, he's inside, he's a a force to reckon with in the paint. And I just forgot in times that not only was he a great offensive player, that he was also a great defensive player as well.
0: Yeah, no, no, I I agree with that completely. He's he is a force there um, under the glass. And, you know, you think you mean even when you look at his bio here, I mean, this guy had six double doubles on the year, multiple game, you know, your career high 19 rebounds against Ball State. This is a guy who who blocks shots. Um, I think the thing about him that makes him so tough is he's so athletic. He can guard on the perimeter. He can bang underneath and get rebounds. And, um, you know, he, he just at that length that he has, it makes him, you know, he's he's a tough wall to get around there when you're under the basket. So he I think he's a big reason why Buffalo was was so good on the boards this year and defensively this year. So if he comes back next year. I could definitely see the uh, could definitely see the Bulls being a problem. Um, what did you think Sam about the, the, the first all Mac first team? Any, was there anyone there that you felt like should have made it over one of these guys or any changes you would make to the first team? I, I think,
1: I think with any first, if you're going to do a first team, I, I, I think there's a debate to be have between having a full like lineup of guards, forwards in the center or yeah. what they have here with their four guards and a forward because I think Danny Pippa deserves it, Jason Preston deserves it, Marion Jackson, Justin Turner, and Lauren Christian Jackson. These were all team these were all players that were considered for player of the year in my opinion. Whether it's Jason Preston, Lauren Christian Jackson, they're all like basically neck and neck with each other. I think Danny Pippa was probably the lowest of the ones but if you're going to do it by position, I think you have Josh and Bala. I'm not sure who you snub and who you take away because that's the, that's a tough decision. Yeah. And because I think J- Josh and ball was the best kind of forward slash basically best, best big man of the Mac. But I don't necessarily would want to put him over any of these guys. Cause I think the, the impact that Imbala had was less than Lord Christian Jackson, all the other guys on the first team, because they were, they were basically, their team was on their backs most of the time. And, and in Mbala, you can't really say that for him.
0: Yeah, I actually, I had the same exact thought there, Sam it was, you know, when I looked at these, the, you know, the first team and the second team and all this, that was the first thing in my mind was like, I, I feel like Josh Mbala deserves, he feels like a first team all Mac player. I feel like he deserves to be on that list. But similar, exactly what you said, I would echo the same thing. You know, who, who do you take off if you're going to put him on there? I, th- I think all five of these guys deserve to make it. I am with you, though. You know, the fact that there's four guards and then Danny Pippen as the forward, there's something to be said for having balance in these teams. And, you know, if you wanted to put him in there as, as a second forward, I, I, I wouldn't argue with it. But it would just like you said, that would be a very tough decision there, determining who to take off that first team to, to replace him. One last thing I'll say about the men's side, real quick, to run through here. Uh, the the first team all defense in the MAC: uh, Enrique Freeman, the forward from Akron; Josh Mbala again; Malik Jacobs, the guard from Kent State; London McDay, uh, the guard from Ohio; and then Spencer Littleson, the guard from Toledo. There, so I, I think I don't have any any major uh, you know qualms there or, or issues there with most of these. I think they I think for the most part the the coaches and the committee here got this right. And, um, you know, we'll see what these teams look like next year coming back. I, you know, we've got a lot of seniors on this list here. A lot of guys are going to have to decide if they want to come back and play one more year, if they're going to, you know, explore finishing their college career elsewhere. Let's move over to uh, to the women's side real quick here to, to, to finish this up. Um, similar, you know, s- similar deal as on the men's side. They, they came out with all the postseason awards here and the, and the first team all-MAC uh, for the women here uh, over the last couple of days. Sam, you want to run through these real quick? Uh, Yeah, CeCe Hooks got both Mac Women's Basketball Player of the Year and
1: Defensive Player of the Year. For the the Head Coach of the Year, I'm not really sure anybody surprises Bowling Green, Robin Fralick. Freshman of the Year, Lexi Fleming, uh, Bowling Green, as well as their coach. Uh, Mac, uh, women's basketball sixth player of the year is uh Janae Poison from uh, Northern Illinois. I hope I said her name right. Uh, the all Mac first team is Ashlyn Brown, Daisha Fair, Michaela Kelly, Molly Davis,
0: and CeCe Hooks. Uh, those are your uh five first team all Mac. Yeah, you know, the thing that I'm really impressed with here, and I, I didn't realize this until I was you know doing a little bit of research. Um, CeCe Hooks. This is her third straight season that she was the MAC defensive player of the year, not just first team all defense, player of the year on defense for CeCe Hook. So that right there, you combine that with how good she is on offense and, you know, shooting the ball, that is one impressive resume uh, for, for the senior from, uh, from Dayton, Ohio. Uh, and then also, like you said, I agree with you, Sam. I don't think anyone was, uh, was surprised by the coach of the year with, with Robin Fralick. Um, nobody expected Bowling Green to win the conference in the regular season this year. We've said it a lot, you know, they were picked 11th in the preseason coaches poll. So the fact that she guided them to a 14 and four mark, uh, this season, very, very impressive. And I think the future is very bright for Bowling Green, especially when you consider you had the freshman of the year on your team and Lexi Fleming, you got three more years of her. Uh, so, so I think the, the arrow is definitely pointed up there for the Falcons, What'd you think of the first team uh, selections here, Sam? Any issues there?
1: Oh, uh, it's not so much first team. I will say, I will go back to Mac player of the year because I think there's a debate to be had um, uh, between CC hooks. I, I, I don't have a problem with her on the defensive player of the year. Honestly, I, I think there's a debate to be had between her and Daisha fair for Mac player of the year. I think, sure. I think, It's how you define what a player of the year is. Is it a person who's who's kind of the the best like player all around, or is it the person who leads their like has to carry the most weight? Yeah. Like it just depends because that's how you really define it. Because Daisha Fair had similar numbers to to CC hooks, uh, CC hooks over one point a game, but I would say CC hooks. Times had Erica Johnson to play alongside her while De fair I would say 99 percent of the time had barely one player over double digits, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, I, I agree with you completely there. I mean, you you look at their stats and Deasha Fair, uh, you know, they're, they're they're very comparable. But I think when you take that into consideration, the fact that De Asha Fair went through most of this season, most of this season with with, with very minimal help. I mean, you know, she, there was a lot of times where she was carrying Buffalo and, you know, CC hooks, I'm not going to, you know, take anything away from her for the fact that she had, you know, a better team around her, but there is something to be said for that. You have Erica Johnson and some other players there that can take the pressure off of you uh, occasionally. Now, obviously we just mentioned, Erica Johnson did miss some games this year with injury, but she's still, I mean, that's another player that you have, that is, uh, what was Erica Johnson? I believe she was. Uh, was she third team all conference? She was. Uh, regardless, yeah, she was third team all conference, having missed some games. So you know, that's another top tier player that you have that can kind of, um, that kind of takes the 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 pressure off of you. With 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 Diasha Fair at, at Buffalo, you you couldn't always say that. And you look at how much she had to carry this team this year. Um, you know, it. it I don't. I, I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to give him too much uh, flack for, for giving it to CC Hooks, but I, I agree with you. I think the Asha Fair had a very, very legitimate claim to being the player of the year this year.
1: Yeah, and it's nothing against CC Hooks. I just think her numbers in in the, the one thing you can really take a shot at is her, is her really field goal percentage. And it's really due to the fact that at times she just had to, to force things like – Anybody yeah. on the men's side, we see see Lauren Christian Jackson, Justin Turner. It's what she had to do for this team to get them through, and and I think, I think she would have had better numbers or even better points per game if she didn't have to to carry all the load at times. And in in the credit to her is she's only a sophomore doing this, so yes. to to be doing it as a sophomore, I think is impressive. Should be noteworthy, and and I I, I think. I think if there's a year to potentially do co Mac player of the years I think this would be the year to do it both of them because I think at times we've seen that Daisha Fair even though her she's inefficient at times it's because she had to do everything and, and she she put up some she put up probably probably like 5 30 point games that I can probably remember.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing that's important to mention with Daisha Fair is that a lot of times people will see like you know volume shooting numbers and to them that will equate to being like oh this is a selfish player with Dasha Fair though that's that's not the case at all there was a lot of times where she was forced to take to take those shots the other thing to think about here is that she also led buffalo in assists this year she averaged over 5 assists a game in, in addition to 24 points so she really had to do everything. And so with that, I I agree. I think maybe co-player of the year would have been fitting, or I even, you know, if you would have told me that um, they, they gave it to Dash Fair over CC hooks um, I I wouldn't have any arguments against that at all. So um, really, I I think these teams, for the most part, I don't have a ton of issues here. I think for the most part, they, they got a lot of this right. And um, so we just wanted to do that as kind of a, a, a final segment to kind of put a bow on basketball season here. Uh, Sam, I can't believe basketball season's pretty much over for us in the Mac here, but you know, look back, you know, the last four months, we've had some good hoops. Yeah, we, we honestly
1: have there, there, there's several moments that I'll look back on the close the close games the the thrilling finishes towards the end the even even the blowouts every every moment was special to me i think the season was like no other it'll stand out in the minds of everybody for seasons to come just for how wild it was how fun it was how how just it brought i i think it brought how fun basketball was back i think i think we like we mentioned it we took we took it for granted. And this just brought back into my mind how just how how fun basketball is. I, I still have I, I I have I had more fun watching betting on it than I've ever had before. It was just a fun season that I I can't wait to look back on. It. And even though even though uh my season ended with a busted bracket like it does every year, it was it's <laughs> Still want a one heck of a journey. I can't wait to watch the Arkansas game versus Oral Roberts, or I can't wait to watch that UConn game against central Michigan, the women's side of things. Yeah. This season, even though it's coming to an end, it's still going on. And it's going to be fun all the way to the, the
0: national championship game before we have a break until next season. Yep. I agree with you completely. And um, you know, I think the, the big thing that we're going to be have to monitor here over the next month or so in the MAC specifically is just going to be the roster movement of, of some of these teams. You know, guys are going to have to decide if they want to come back for another year if they're seniors. I know a couple guys, a couple big-name players have already put their names in the transfer portal. Mike Nuga from Kent State, uh, Jeron Coleman from Ball State, which I know breaks your heart, Sam. We'll see if what they end up doing if they you know decide to ultimately return to those institutions like you know Justin Turner did last year with Bowling Green. Those are going to be the big things that we're going to have to monitor here moving forward over the next couple of weeks. So as we put a uh, kind of, you know, finish up basketball season here, moving forward here over these next couple of weeks, guys, we're really going to be starting to put a little bit more emphasis on, on the spring sports and also going to start doing some, some previews and stuff for, uh, for football, as spring football is happening and stuff like that. So um, expect, you know, next week, a little bit of baseball talk, might sprinkle some football in there. Some of the other spring sports that are going on, you know, with tennis, women's volleyball, soccer, stuff like that. A lot of good stuff still uh, still going on, even though uh, the, the the hoops season is coming to a close. Sam, any final thoughts before uh, we let everyone go today? Uh, no, Ed, um, not not really. Other than then, I think, even though
1: basketball season is coming to an, I've seen some incredible things happening on the baseball side. Of things from uh, from um, complete games to shutouts to, yeah. um, to to MAC teams defeating ranked teams. It, it this baseball season as we transition from like we did from football to basketball i don't think there's anything really disappointing from going basketball to baseball or volleyball if you follow volleyball the most whatever the case is these spring sports are a lot of fun i think we we forget a lot of times
0: how great these sports can be i agree with you completely man i agree with you completely i'm looking forward to to dive into them some uh, a little bit more in depth here over the next couple of weeks all right, guys, that's going to wrap this episode up, episode 38 of The Bandwagon. Thanks so much for stopping by. As always, we appreciate the love and the support. Uh, and uh, you guys know we, we love the Mac just as much as you do. So uh, for Sam Philman, I am Zach Follador signing off here today. Thanks for stopping by this week, guys, and we'll talk to you next Friday.